Welcome back to an all-new Whole Creations. I'm your host, Ryan Odman. Today, I'm going to be interviewing my friend, Hannah Ray Leonard. She is a board-certified behavioral analysis, commonly known as a BCBA. She is very knowledgeable and experienced in ABA work. So, if you're a parent, an educator, a behavior person, or you want to know something about working in the special needs community, especially if you want to know more about ABA work, this is something you want to hear. So, without further ado, let's go hear Miss Hannah. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Odman, and this is my friend Hannah. Hi, everyone. I'm Hannah Ray. Hey, good to see you, Miss Hannah. So, Hannah, she has been such a big blessing to my life. She's taught me a lot by her example, working in the field of special needs, special education, really having the heart to um, really be right there with the student, really helping staff out, really um, just being an example. Like that's the big thing that I've seen through Hannah through the four or three years I've known her and seeing how she's propelled in her career, in her education, working with people with special needs. And she has been such a big blessing to my life. So Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Like the first time I've ever seen like a student um, at our old job and having a hard time, I saw, I don't know if you knew this, but like you were like the first one that, that came to help that student. And it just, something about how you intervened and how you really helped out that particular student. Um, it just like, wow like how did she like how do you do that and it, it just spoke volumes to my heart just so you know thank you ryan thank you so much that means a lot um it's interesting because i was just having this conversation with one of my coworkers uh last week about our intentions as practitioners versus our impact um and so it means a lot to hear that my intentions match my impact in that moment um and I know that we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but just kind of having that self-reflective practice to always want to do better um, is something that I really strive for. Um, but it's amazing to hear that that is picked up on too. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, dude, like you really do have it. I'm like, dang, like, <laughs> wow. And I realized it, it took a journey. It took years of building that probably. It wasn't just like all of a sudden, like Hannah got it. Like it took years and it took time, like any great skill in life. And so- yeah, just know that your journey has definitely paid off, dude. So, Thank you. yeah. Okay. So, Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, um, so I um, started in the field initially, um, had an interest in working with uh, a population of people with developmental disabilities or other needs um, because my sister. Um, so my, I have a sister that's 10 years younger than me. Um, so she's 20 years old. She is so funny, so sweet, um, has so many wonderful qualities about her. Um, she also has uh, developmental and physical disabilities. And um, so in growing up with her and kind of seeing it from a sibling's perspective and seeing it from my parents' perspective, not only within this educational setting, but then also within the community too, really the discrepancy of um, inclusion uh, that really kind of lit a fire to um, get into the field and um, 
just really drove my passion to um, be a well-rounded practitioner and a practitioner that's uh, constantly learning um, best practices and how to put the student and the client first. Mm. Um, so that initially is what got me into the field. Um, out of my undergrad, I started as a job coach and job developer. So I worked for a company called Pride Industries and they work um, closely with the Department of Rehabilitation. So it was really neat. I got to work with um, adults out in the community pairing them in uh, different job placements, teaching them how to uh, utilize public transportation to get to their jobs, how to build a resume, all of those things, um, just really increasing their independence. Um, and then from there, I wanted to shift and kind of work with uh, younger individuals. So mm. I ended up working um, at an in-home company, uh, providing in-home ADA, uh, and then shifted over to the non-public school setting where I was for about uh, four and a half, almost five years. And uh, mm. now I've kind of shifted again to a less restrictive environment. So I am in a district setting, uh, which has been a, such a huge shift, uh, but it's been really neat to really expand my scope um, and work with different students with vastly different needs. Um, I've worked with students in the general education setting, um, in special day class, whether it's a mild moderate program or moderate severe. Um, I'm also able to consult with teams and county programs. Um, so I've really kind of had uh, different experiences along the journey, but that's yeah. where I am now. That's amazing. Like, so it's amazing that you've like, didn't just stay focused on one place, but you've like broadened your horizons. And so that probably took a lot of courage and a lot of like learning to walk past the fear of broadening your horizons, but really having the, the passion, the fire, the mission to jump off like the bridge, to, so to speak, to try some new things. So um, this wasn't in the questions, but um how has that been for you? Like when you were making those choices to like jump off like the bridge to try something new? It was really scary. It was really scary. And I had to, uh, thankfully in both the non-public school setting and the district setting, I've had uh, the opportunity to work with incredible BCBAs uh, who really share similar values with me. Um, and I think that as a behavior specialist, a lot of the time we get called to situations or called to consult and not totally sure if this is kind of uh, put on us by other people or we also um, kind of put this on ourselves as well that we expect ourselves to have the answer. We expect mm -hmm. people to show up and have the answer and know exactly what to do. Um, and I think that it's been an ongoing process of knowing that I have a foundational skill set, um, but I'm not always gonna have the answer right away. And I have the resources to be able to um, consult with uh, one of my coworkers who's worked in a general education classroom. What are the expectations? What are some of those intervention strategies um, that's feasible for a general education teacher to implement? Um, so I think that in understanding that I have such an amazing team and colleagues to collaborate with, um, I also have the research base um, to look into and continually expand my knowledge. 
um, I have to take a step back and then remember those times too, where maybe I had a student that um, had needs that I hadn't addressed before, um, knowing that that's out of my scope, using my resources to either have a mentor who um, has experience with that need or um, with a specific intervention uh, has really been helpful. Um, and it also helped me help ground me. So initially there was that fear there. Um, but again, having those people, having the research base and that foundational skill set uh, really helped build my confidence to go into new situations. You touched on something that is so key. Um, you shared that um, you had to be resourceful. So you had to ask people in your team questions. And so sometimes for me and some other people I've, I've met along this journey of working with people with special needs, Sometimes we don't want to be resourceful because it's it's a pride thing. I don't know. Or maybe we're afraid of looking like we don't know. But I think you touched on something very key on is that if we're in this field, we we're here for each other. We're not just here for ourselves, but we got to be resourceful and, and take the time to like ask people questions. And and um, it, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humility. So Yeah, and I also think that um, as a field in general, we have the opportunity to collaborate with so many different service providers, occupational therapists, speech therapists, the teacher in the classroom, the instructional aides, who really do have the most information about that student and that individual. Um, and even in, in the individual themselves, I think it's so important to see the work being done in the classroom, see the way the student is responding to interventions, seeing if it's effective or not. Um, and really adapting your process along the way to make sure that the student and client is at the forefront of that uh, process and all of their needs are being met, not just uh, their behavioral needs. Right, I like that a lot. So going, going to the next question now, um, thanks for sharing all that, that was amazing. So when it comes to um, your students having challenging behaviors, how do you strategically intervene with your students having challenging behaviors? That is um, an amazing question um, and a question that uh, we get a lot. Um, something that I am trying to do is really be self-aware uh, and reflective on kind of the vocabulary in the field and um, shifting the way that we speak of quote unquote challenging behaviors to really focus on the student and their need. So if we look at the word challenging, it really is um, the other person's interpretation of the behavior. When, at, when in actuality, that student might be in crisis, that student is escalated, they might be having emotional responding or trying to connect with another individual. Um, so I think that as we um, become a more inclusive community in society, um, it's so important to shift that. Um, not only for others' interpretation of it, but to make sure that we're continually focused on the student, what their needs are, what they may be trying to communicate, um, and really shift our response to focus on them. So some of the vocabulary that I've been using is, um, you know, if students are engaged in escalation or uh, crisis or again that connection seeking uh, behavior instead mm -hmm. of kind of attention seeking um, so when those situations do occur um, first and foremost 
I always consider the student safety, uh, student safety and staff safety as well. I want that to be at the forefront of my decision-making. Uh, also their dignity, uh, sometimes in heightened or escalated situations, um, people's adrenaline, or they're pumping, um, what's occurring is not what ideally what they want to occur, um, but ensure that we're maintaining the student's dignity. We're not talking about the student in front of them. Um, we aren't, uh, we're making sure that other people aren't looking at the student um, when they're engaged in that escalation. Um, and then also that rapport piece, um, ensuring that my intervention practices never jeopardize my rapport with the student. Um, so really shifting away from extinction procedures um, and looking at how we can do better. Um, if you think about when um, you're emotional or having emotional responding, one of the most hurtful things that could happen is people ignoring you. Mm. nobody being there for you and really being able to have that self-reflective practice of okay this might be how um this intervention was applied before how can i do it better um something that i think about all the time is if i if this were the behavior intervention plan for my sister would i be okay with it if this were the behavior intervention plan for me would i be okay with it mm. um, and a lot of our students um, might not be able to communicate that to us yet and so i think it's so important to have that perspective taking um, another thing too is during escalation um, sometimes we get so caught up in prompting functional communication i want to prompt the student to communicate something Sometimes people aren't ready to do that yet. They need to be taught a coping skill. Um, and coping skills for people look vastly different. Um, some student might need space and I can give that student space while still maintaining in close enough proximity so that they know I'm there for them when they're ready. Or a student might, um, it might be effective for a student to take deep breaths. For other students, that might just be another demand or directive. So it really has to be individualized and understanding that every escalation is not gonna look the same uh, every time. And we have to be flexible uh, in our practices. Another really big thing that I wanted to mention, um, which Again, going back to safety, dignity, and rapport, um, I had the opportunity to do Dr. Greg Hanley's uh, training on practical functional assessment and skills-based treatment. Um, if you are a BCBA, RBT, a parent, I strongly recommend to ask your BCBA about um, this approach, um, especially if you're working with a student with more uh, significant behavioral needs. Um, it really is a safe and systematic approach um, that maintains dignity and rapport throughout the entire process. Um, and it's really amazing how we can take the science of ABA and apply it in such a way that truly uh, puts the client first. And it's not about progress in the way that other people want to see it. It's about meeting the student where they're at and basing progress off of that. Uh, so it's a really, really amazing um, approach to implementing ABA. Um, so I wanted to encourage everybody to look into that. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Like, um, yeah, all that was, uh, on point sister. So good job. <laughs> oh man. Um, there's a lot that you shared that I'm like, wow, I never thought of it like that, but yeah, it's, it's so true. You have to see it from, um, from their perspective, keeping them first and making sure that safety, um, is, is, 
is um, the first priority. There have been times where like I look back on, and I feel like other people can connect with this as well, where we want something so bad for our student or we want something so bad for our client or for parents out there that are listening to this, you want something so bad for your child that maybe it could compromise with their safety. Like, so like, for example, if somebody wants a child to go swimming, but the thing is they're having some um, connecting seeking behaviors or crisis behaviors, it's, it's not gonna do them well. So we may want something so bad for our loved ones but they just may not be ready. And so you got to see from their perspective and find coping strategies that can best suit that particular student. Does that make sense? What I just said. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think too, um, I, it's been an interesting experience to um, kind of talk with my mom and uh, my stepdad about uh, my sister and things that they want for her. Um, and then also looking at it from, what is a meaningful life to her? And are, is it our place to create a meaningful life for somebody based on what our idea of a meaningful life is? Mm. Not necessarily. And truly, uh, we have to look at um, what is meaningful to our client and really what um, is socially valid for them. What's, what are the skills that we can teach that's going to make them lead a full life based on what a full life is? for them and their motivation um, and their values. And of course, keeping them safe um, along the way. Um, and that kind of goes hand in hand too with um, this other shift that I think the field of ABA is making. Um, and it's kind of away from shifting away from compliance focused uh, intervention strategies and looking more at self-advocacy. And I always give this example to people when I come home from work, I'm not immediately folding my laundry, undoing the, taking the dishes out of the dishwasher, I get to say, no, I don't want to do that yet. And our clients and our students also need to be able to say, no, I don't want to do that yet. Um, and I, and sometimes parents have said to me, well, that's vocal protest. And they say, is it vocal protest or is it self-advocacy? I want them in their life to be able to say, I don't want to do that. Or I don't like that when somebody else is doing something, or I want some space. Um, and so then I think that too, when we write, um, following directives, goals, or compliance-based goals, a lot of that self-advocacy can get lost. Um, and it's really, really important to make sure that we're programming for that and honoring communication. Wow. No, I, wow. <laughs> That's, um, wow. Yeah, no, every, everything you just said, Miss Miss Hannah, thank you for sharing that because it's so true. We want our students to self-advocate and you gave some good examples about how in your own life, um, where you come home from work, you're tired, you, you want to chill out, you're like, and you just say, I'm not ready for that yet. And so it's the same thing that you can apply to our, our students, our clients, our children. It's, you have to know, um, what's going to best work for them and really help them to self-advocate for themselves that, Hey, like, I'm not trying to procrastinate here. I'm just, I really need that time for myself. And so, yeah. man, you're helping me to open up my, a whole new worldview of how I look at the people I work with or mentor. So. Yeah. And I think too, um, in going through this process, it can be difficult being self-reflective because I think, wow, I wrote a, I wrote a goal for following directives. You know, I've done that before. Um, uh, but I think to be able to self-reflect, sit with it, 
um, understand my intention as a practitioner and know that maybe my impact didn't align um, and be able to say, okay, I'm going to do better so that more of my impact matches my true intention. And my intention is to be there for the student and be there for the client um, and really um, support them to lead a meaningful life. Um, so it's a process for sure. And it's not, it's definitely going to be an ongoing process as we learn to do better. We really involve ourselves in the autistic community and hear about uh, different people's experiences um, and adjust and be flexible. Yeah. yeah. Character development. That's, that's something that's big where it's like, all right, yeah, let, let's, let's make sure that the intention is truly really well with the person that we're working with. And so, yeah, there are times where I'm like, this, this is like interesting and vulnerable for me. Um, where like when I first started working at the place we once worked at together, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to make this big impact on this particular student. All right, let's go ahead and run. And, and then I, I'm looking over my shoulder to see if my boss is watching and it's like, wait a second, what the heck? And, and so you have to like humble yourself and realize, wait, is this for you, Ryan, or is this for the student? And so the more I come to the realization um, to just say, Hey, like, this isn't about you, Ryan, this is about the student that you're working with. The more I see my heart come into alignment with good intentions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the other BCBs that we worked with there, he always said, um, and he, he trained staff on this, we have to be self-reflective and ask ourselves, is this a me problem or is this a them problem? Yeah. And more often than not, it's a me problem. Yeah. Um, so I think constantly being self-aware and reflective um, is truly, truly important, mm -hmm. especially in this field. Right, right. So, man, we're getting deep here, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how do you take time for yourself after handling the situations that go on with their students when they're having um, a crisis situation or wanting to connect situation where it could be tiring for you and you need time to reflect? Like, I, even though you already touched on that pretty much, but like anything more you want to say? This has been an ongoing process and I think, um, it's really important for me to reflect on this when I'm training instructional aides who are new to the field. Um, when I was growing up, my mom told me that whenever my older brother cried, I would uh, sympathy cry with him, even though I had no context for what the situation was. Um, so I've always been a very sensitive person. Um, and I remember my first week starting at uh, the non-public school that we were at, um, a student engaged in um, some escalated behaviors and um, another student was very close to being injured mm -hmm. and I had to get tapped out. I took a moment, I went upstairs to the break room, uh, cried and, and I was thinking to myself, you're in a master's program for ABA. This is what you signed up for. Why are you crying? And kind of not I, it wasn't expected and just this really natural reaction. Um, and I really had to sit down with myself and do the work because while perspective taking can be so, so beneficial and I think is a very necessary part of being a practitioner, I also have to be able to control my emotions so that I can meet the student needs in that moment. Um, so from there, I built a, a foundational skill set. 
um, I started adding strategies to my toolbox, figuring out what worked and didn't work in situations, um, really holding on to those moments where I implemented some strategies that were effective and knowing that maybe I'm not going to implement it correctly the first time, but I'm going to figure out how to do it right um, and how to do it in such a way that's effective and um, respectful for the student. Uh, so it has been an ongoing process and I definitely uh, have made a lot of growth in that area, but I think with any job, um, it's important to have that work-life balance. Um, and that's something that I'm constantly working on, uh, because I am so invested in my students, but, um, I have a combination of nature and Netflix. I like to get outside. I also like to just relax on my couch some weekends. Um, it really just depends on kind of what the week looked like and um student definitely based off of that student progress mm. uh, it's also been really helpful for me to again have those teams of other bcbas rbts uh, who share similar values um, and do similar work because i can debrief with them um, and then from there come up with a proactive plan um, mm. so when there are situations where maybe it didn't go exactly as i had hoped um, I'm able to debrief with them. And because we share those similar values, it really becomes a productive conversation of what I can do next time, or um, maybe even just little tweaks in the plan to try a new coping strategy or see early indicators of escalation and um, prompt communication. So that's definitely been really, really helpful. Um, and then of course, celebrating the wins with students mm -hmm. Uh, this past week, uh, one of my students probably had one of their most difficult days. Um, and two days later, I checked in with our RBT and he had independently communicated for the first time with us since he had started school uh, in August. He went over to his communication system, brought it to the communicative partner um, and indicated what it was that he wanted. Um, so everybody has bad days. I have bad days. Our students can have bad days. Um, but I think adjusting our um, scale of what progress looks like based on the student is so important because then you can find truly the silver lining and the progress that's being made. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, there was one student that I remember working with and he had a hard time like sharing his emotions or like talking about if he was feeling happy, sad, angry, um, confused, or actually we didn't even know that the word confused was in his vocab. And so there's just like one time where like um, me and an OT specialist were trying to help him um, understand what he was feeling or um, what he was um, going through. And so um me and the OT person were like going back and forth, back and forth in front of the student about, about how we should um, give the SD, so to speak. And then we asked the student, hey, like, how are you feeling? And then I guess he was just like blown away by what we were talking about. He said, I feel confused. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, like you, and that was like, in a way that was a win indirectly, like we didn't see that coming, but it was a win. So it's true. You got to celebrate those small wins and and um, just go with the flow, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. Yeah. So even though like I'm no longer working at in the special needs field in education, my hope and my desire is going into the broadcasting industry 
we can try to incorporate some ways on how we can have people with special needs come on a television show. This is in the far future. I don't know when this is going to happen, but like just showing their talents and maybe doing like a social skills group on television. I don't know. There's just so many ideas I have. And so I'm actually kind of thankful to go on this journey and see what happens. And so. Yeah, that's really exciting. And I think that creating a platform um, for um, these individuals and this population uh, can do a lot of really, really great, um, great work and really work toward a more inclusive uh, community, which of course is the goal. I want my sister to be able to, you know, walk into a Target and see an employee who is greeting them on their AAC device. Mm. I want, you know, there's, I mean, so many different examples um, that I can think of, but really just creating that, um, that inclusion um, and creating opportunities, I think is really the direction that we as a society need to go in. You're Man, you're broadening my horizons, friend. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, you pretty much already answered this question. But I'll just ask anyway, if you have any more you want to say. When you face discouraging times in, in the field of being a BCBA, or just when you're working with your student and it doesn't go like how you planned, how, how do you keep moving forward? Yeah. That has also been a process. I think that um, I've had the I've had really amazing opportunities to work with students with a variety of needs um, and quite long learning histories. Um, I know we had students start with us at maybe 20, 21 years old, and they have significant learning histories, whether it's uh, a history of being restrained um, during those times of escalation or crisis or um, specific uh, behaviors being reinforced, things like that. Um, Because of uh, those students with those longer learning histories, um, shaping their behaviors to uh, be more appropriate and meet those needs uh, was a long process. Thankfully, I've been able to um, see that progress made over a long, uh, quite a lengthy amount of time. Um, and I think because of that, I have a significant um, faith and belief that um, with consistency and always showing up for the student um, and understanding the significant responsibility and weight of what we do. Um, Even when there are difficult situations, I feel like we can keep going because if plan A doesn't work, we'll try plan B. If plan B doesn't work, we'll try plan C. And then we'll go through the entire alphabet. And if that doesn't work, we'll go back to the drawing board. Um, And again, it really goes back to the teams I've been fortunate enough to work for or work with and the students I've been fortunate enough to work with um, and Mm. having people who pick you up and are right there along with you uh, doing the work. Yeah. And, And you've been very fortunate to have such a great team alongside you. I've seen the work. Um, you and other individuals have done and um, it's cool to watch from afar I don't know why um, I would always like 
<laughs> there were times I wanted to like always socialize with you, dude. And it wasn't until after you left. And it's like, uh, Hannah and all of them seem too cool for me to go to them. So I'm oh just gonna, and, and I'm realizing that was just a lie in my head that, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we're going to have to hang out then. Dude, let's do it. I want to meet your husband. Congrats, by the way, on your wedding. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank you. So, and shout out to Travis out there. <laughs> yes, I'm going to see him later today. Um, okay. So I'm excited. And he's been, he's been doing really well. He's a, he's a mod severe teacher now. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, I remember his journey and him like really putting himself out there and man, um, yeah, he's been a, a cool example to watch. And I've been fortunate to like talk with him and have uh, great conversations with him and get personal and just, yeah, I, I really respect that man. <laughs> so, yeah. well, anyway, um, I'm Ryan Odman. We're going to stop right here for today. Thank you all for watching whole creations and Hannah, do you have any words you want to speak before we go? Any encouragement or anything? Oh, my gosh. Um, if you work in the field or a parent of an individual, please, please look up uh, Dr. Greg Hanley's PFA and SBT approaches. Um, it's really, truly uh, a very progressive approach uh, to working in the field and has changed a lot of lives. So, All right. Well, thank you all so much and peace out, Hannah. I'll see you soon. Yeah.